Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Call the confession this morning is from Proverbs 20, verse 24. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? This proverb teaches that there is no thing small enough which we can control. Even our very steps are from God. Jesus says that he numbers the hairs on our heads. Our world is extremely big and complex and beyond our comprehension. Men certainly seem to have an understanding of the world and the way it works. Science continues to discover truths about the world. It identifies laws of nature, continuities in relationships, and it enables men to achieve various degrees of dominion in our world. God's kindness in this regard has enabled us to do some pretty amazing things. We sent men to the moon, a robot to Mars, we zoom about at high speeds on our highways, we travel great distances through the air, we have air condition and heat, running water, and we have access to vast amounts of information at the click of a button or at the tap of a finger. And all of this stuff gives the appearance of control, but it's a facade. It's a false front. Take away the smoke and mirrors, the hubris, the pride, and the bravado, and what you're left with is a simple truth. Men are still at the mercy of God. With all our science, none of us can overcome God's plan. God gives us power and responsibility to have dominion, but in the end, we are all subject to his eternal decrees. Every one of us wrestles with the question, why at times? Why can't I find a better job? Why does life seem so hard? Why must I suffer? Why must this injustice take place? Why must I die? And in the end, a wise man is left with the wisdom of this proverb. We are finite. And in our humility, we must learn to trust God. We can't tell the beginning from the end. But he does. We can't change reality, but he does. We can't see the big picture, but he's drawing it. We don't know how the story ends, but he's the master storyteller. In the end, a man cannot understand his own way. But thanks be to God that that is not our task. It's not our job. Our task is to trust and obey to believe in his goodness and to walk in his ways. He gives us our steps and he gives us the power to take them. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so please kneel as you're able. now and 
You'll remember this is Luke's narrative of Jesus Christ's continuing work following his resurrection. The grand arc of the story is that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit and then the gospel starts to spread and the church starts to grow in Jerusalem until the Jews reject it and then persecute the church. The next the gospel went out, first to Judea and then Samaria and today, we shall see it starts to go out to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus had commanded his disciples to do. The key players have been the apostles Peter and John, Barnabas, the martyr Stephen, and Philip the Evangelist. On the negative side, the Sanhedrin rejected the gospel. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the spirit and died, and Saul attacked the church, and Simon the sorcerer sought to achieve his own ends in the church. In all of this, the church has consistently grown, its purity has been maintained and improved, and the glory and dominion of Christ has been preached. Moreover, at each development, the fledgling church is learning what following Jesus looks like. Because it doesn't look like what they thought it would look like. It was not a national movement. It's rejected by the very people who received the promises, the people who sat in Moses' seat, who claimed the scriptures. And then it's accepted by Hellenists and Samaritans, two groups who were traditionally at odds with established Judaism, people who were viewed as people who were polluting the Jewish scriptures. Today we'll see that Philip is called to bring the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, a foreigner, a slave, and a eunuch. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Here we run into Philip the evangelist again. Last time we saw him, he was ministering to the Samaritans and had great success. Here we see God calling him, to leave Samaria and go south. Samaria, I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the map of Israel, but there's three regions of Israel. The north is Galilee, then the center is Samaria, and the, the south, southern region is Judea. So the, he was north of Jerusalem, up in Samaria, and God tells him, go south. Go south on the road to, toward Gaza, which Gaza was a, a small town on the outskirts of, of Judea, on the south and western side of the, of the country. It's interesting that the angel tells Philip, this is desert. Sometimes God calls men to go to the boonies, 
Sometimes when God sends missionaries, he sends them out into the boonies. This story is an example of our proverb from this morning also. The Lord directs a man's steps. How can he understand his own way? The answer is by looking to the Lord and following his lead. From a human standpoint, Philip's actions are not shrewd. They don't make sense. But God has a purpose, and he works with and through Philip. In this, we can learn a few things about this. God is writing the story, and he knows. He, he ordains time. He ordains circumstances. He ordains resources. And God, if we will follow his calling and his lead, will bless his people. God gave Philip a calling. He said, go. Arise, go down, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. He gave Philip a calling. And, and, and he also gave Philip a heart for his calling. Philip arose and went. There's no back chat. There's no, you know, there's no fussing or whining about this. He's not like Noah. I'm sorry, he's not like Jonah. He says, no, I, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Well, that, that gets you in the belly of the fish. That's not a good place to be. Philip had a heart for this. And so he arose and went, and God gave Philip blessing and fruitfulness in the work that he gave to him. Originally, he was in Jerusalem, and God sent him to Samaria. And so Philip is just doing what he's learned from God is the right thing to do. He was in Jerusalem, at the temple, in, in the center of Judaism, at the people who sat at Moses' seat. And the church was growing there, but then because of the persecution, he left. And God called him to go to Samaria. Samaria, where the Samaritans live. Those people who had polluted the Jewish scriptures. Those people who are worshiping on Mount Gerizim instead of in Jerusalem. That's where God called him to go. And Philip was faithful and God blessed him. He had a fruitful ministry there. So now God calls Philip to leave a thriving ministry in a populous country and sent him to the desert road from Israel to the south. This story or similar stories, like when... If, you, if you've grown up in the evangelical church, you've, you've heard the, the missionaries come and they tell you all these great stories about being missionaries um, and how God calls them to go to Africa. Uh, stories that from people who, who are called to go to the, to the desert places. It sometimes results in a fascinating occurrence within the modern evangelical church. Sometimes we fear what God is going to tell us to do. We think... I just know God's going to send me to the darkest recesses of Africa, and I don't want to go there. We'll think, he's stingy. We'll spiritualize things, and we'll think that if we were a really good Christian, then we're supposed to want to be either missionaries or pastors or nurses. And that if we end up doing something other than those things... And somehow we're less holy, less spiritual, and less good. But if, if we do this, if we allow ourselves to go there, we operate on a false assumption that God wants to oppress us. 
that we assume that God wants to be mean to us and make us suffer, to deprive us of what we really want. And this thinking forgets calling, heart, and blessing. It also forgets that the gospel is good news, a cause for gratitude and rejoicing, not anxiety. God does call some people to go to the desert. He does send missionaries to Africa. He calls Philip to go to the desert. He calls people to suffer. His gospel is for the ends of the earth. And the earth is a waste place because of sin and the fall. But if God calls people to it, he gives them the grace and the means to accomplish what he desires, which ultimately is blessing, and we must accept that by faith. Philip is an excellent role model here. And even though he's called to the desert, he rises up and goes. He submits to the angel of the Lord and to the Holy Spirit. And what does he find? He finds the Ethiopian eunuch. Here we see several obstacles according to human standards. First, he's different. He's got a different skin color. He's from a different country, a different culture. Second, he's a slave. He's a servant of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. A quick historical note, Candace isn't a proper name. Her name was Candace. She was called Candace, but in ancient Ethiopia, these politically powerful women were called Candace. It's like the pharaohs in Egypt were all called Pharaoh, or like the Caesars in Rome were called Caesar. It's Candace in Ethiopia. And the reason they were women running the country was because their husbands were considered to be gods, and so they couldn't be bothered to stoop down to the mundane work of politics. So, um, so he's a slave to Candace. Third, he's a eunuch. In, De in Deuteronomy, eunuchs were prevented from being a part of the congregation of Israel. Covenantally, they were held at, they were held at arm's length. They said, our God is the true God. You need, to, you need to worship him, but you may not come within these certain boundaries. They're not able to fully convert to Judaism. They could come to Jerusalem to worship, but they were prevented from entering the temple beyond the court of the Gentiles and women. A term that was used for believers who were not full proselytes to Judaism was called God-fearers. And this category would have included Gentiles who believed in the scriptures, but for whatever reasons didn't take on the covenant sign of circumcision or join the political nation of Israel. Naaman the Syrian, who was cleansed of his leprosy in the Old Testament, he, he, he would have fallen under a similar category here, where he, he worshipped God, but he, he asked for permission from Elijah, or Elisha, whichever one it was, to, to, uh, he asked for permission to go worship the true God, but, but he, he had to go into the temple of the false gods to do it. But he was, he was a God-fearer. All of these facts, that he was different, he's a slave, and that he was a eunuch, would have made him seem, from a human perspective, less desirable as a convert. He, 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 wasn't, 
He wasn't ideally what you're looking for. And on the other side of the spectrum, ironically, is though is, is that he, he was, he was a, the Ethiopian eunuch had great authority and wealth and power. And these things would have been intimidating to, to someone who was sharing the gospel. Here was a man who held a very high office. He had charge of all Candace's treasury. He was able to take an entourage with him to Jerusalem to worship. He rode in a chariot. It's like the Rolls Royce of the day. I mean, this guy, this guy was, he was, he was pretty high up there. He's able to afford a, a scroll of the book of Isaiah. He was able to read it. All signs of wealth and influence. And all these things point to his high estate. And yet Philip was not deterred. Like in Samaria, he brought the gospel to the outcast. And like in Samaria, he brought it to the high as well as to the low. Remember in Samaria, he brought it to the multitudes, and he converted Simon, who they worshipped as the great power of God. Philip submits to God's call, and God calls him where he will, where he will according to his own good pleasure. Here that is the desert between Jerusalem and Gaza, because the dry places need water. Look where the gospel tends to explode. The gospel is for those who are thirsty, who are hungry, for those who need it, for the downcast, the downtrodden, the oppressed. Jesus brings good news to the world. And the reality is, is the whole world is a desert place, and everybody needs it. But if you go to the real desert places where people are really starving and really hungry, they know that they need it, and they'll admit it. So the gospel explodes where people are really hungry and really need the good news of a good God who brings salvation to a wicked world. Now we have a biblical example of evangelism, sharing the gospel. The first thing we'll see here is that at the Spirit's instigation, Philip takes an interest in the Ethiopian, and God opens a window for the gospel. Acts 8, verses 30 to 35. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Jesus is the gospel. Philip opened his mouth and preached Jesus to him. Jesus is the substance of what is preached. He is what we preach. And the gospel of Jesus is grounded in the word. Jesus is the key to the scriptures. He unlocked all the mysteries, 
all the problems, all the frustrations that we get from reading the Old Testament if we don't know Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the key. All the scriptures find their purpose in him because Jesus is the word in the flesh. And this means that all of the word of God points to him. This means that we are called to know our Bibles. We should be steeped in them. We should, we should be familiar with the scriptures. They should be the background of our thinking. They should be the basis of our lives. We should write them on the doorposts. We, we need to know them. They need to be in our bones so that we're able to use them as a means to proclaim Jesus. Just like Philip does here with the Ethiopian. The verses here pondered by the, the eunuch are a key to the prophecies in the book of Isaiah. The verses come from Isaiah chapter 53. The chapter is also known as the suffering servant chapter. But the chapters that follow Isaiah 53 are, are filled with glorious prophecies about the kingdom of the Messiah. And the, and the promises of the restoration of all things in him. And a particular interest to this man, the Ethiopian eunuch, would be the beginning of chapter 56 of Isaiah. Isaiah 56, verse 3. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him, and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer. For all nations, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. A name better than that of sons and daughters. That's being fulfilled here in our text. The Ethiopian eunuch went to Jerusalem to worship. He saw the sons and daughters of Israel the chief priests, the Sanhedrin. And he's being given a better name in Jesus than them. The promise is being fulfilled. And the Ethiopian eunuch's question is exactly the right question. He says, of whom does the prophet say this? 
Of whom does the prophet... He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant. It's a prophecy of the death of the Messiah. It's talking about, he will bear our iniquities, he shall bear our curse. And... At the end of Isaiah chapter 53, starting at verse 10, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. There's the conundrum. There's the question. Isaiah is asking, how... Can he die and yet his days be prolonged? How can he bear our burden unto death and yet he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied? By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. So he poured out his soul unto death, and yet he's participating in the division of the spoil. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The question's exactly right. The Ethiopian says, who is the prophet speaking of? Is, this, is he speaking of himself or somebody else? Because I need the answer to that question. I need the promise that he gave me over here in chapter 56, that the, the eunuch no longer has to say, I'm a dry tree. I need that promise. But in order to get that, I need to know who he's talking about. I need this salvation. So what sense does this prophecy make without the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. You need the gospel. You need Jesus dead and raised. You need our Lord. Jesus has removed the barrier of sin. The gospel is the proclamation of forgiveness of sins. Free and gracious from our Lord and in Him. And now because of that, there's no separation between God and His people. He deals with us directly by His Spirit. There's no longer a God-fearer category. You are God's or you are not. There's two categories. You know God. You're at peace with Him. You have communion and fellowship with His Spirit. Or you don't. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. Submit and worship him or die. So there's no longer a separation by degrees of closeness, by nationality, by social status, or by physical deformity. Every one of the things that were barriers for this man have been completely washed away and eliminated. And moreover, in all of this message of the gospel, we see that God is the one who's doing the legwork here. The soil is prepared. The seed of the gospel falls on good soil 
when it falls on the Ethiopian eunuch because of the work of the Spirit in his heart. Because God prepared him to ask the right question at the right time, and he brought the right man to give the right answer. And what is this? It's water in the desert. Water in the desert. This is changing the wilderness into the lush valley. It's a promise of grace and life and growth. Starting at verse 36 of Acts chapter 8 again. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. God makes an oasis in the desert. The eunuch went to Jerusalem to worship God. He hungered. He thirsted for his presence. He thirsted for God. But he wasn't there. And then he comes back through the desert and he receives water. God brings forth water from the rock. He provides salvation for the lost. Jesus Christ is good news for everybody. And his message is powerful. And it instigates rejoicing. And the gospel continues to go out. Philip baptizes this man, and then he sends the Spirit of the Lord, and, and then the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Now, interpretation of that is varied. Some people think, well, he just went on his way because the Spirit told him to move on to the next place. Some people think it was a miraculous, he just kind of disappeared. Um, and uh, it doesn't really matter that much. I, I personally would fall on that he was caught away. It was miraculous. But, but that doesn't matter much. Because Philip's departure doesn't cause this eunuch sorrow. It's not like God said, here's water, and now I'm taking it away. No, God gave him the water of salvation. A, a well of living water, so that he would never thirst again. He rejoiced because the message of Philip is that we no longer need a mediator. To, 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 we don't need to keep going back to the well, but keep going back to the well. God puts the well in us. We become springs of living water. Jesus is our mediator, and he's with us all the time. Philip can go, but Jesus won't. He's there with you. That's part of the gospel. That's his spirit. Then next we see in verse 40 that Philip's founded Azotus. But Philip was founded Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So God makes an oasis in the desert. He converts and baptizes this eunuch and sends him on his way, rejoicing. And we don't, we don't read anything more about him in, in the scriptures. Um, we do know that the church was established very early in Ethiopia. And presumably he was a minister of the gospel there. 
Presumably, the Acts 56 prophecy came true in him. When the eunuch says, no longer am I am a, dry, a dry tree, more are the children, your children, than, than those of, of, of Israel. Because the gospel is fruitful. But Philip, we do read more about, he goes, he goes on to Azotus, and basically he traveled north along the Mediterranean coast, sea coast, until he reached Caesarea. And Caesarea was, was Philip's hometown. It, it, if not before this, it, it, it became his hometown. Caesarea was Philip's hometown. Uh, and we know that because later on we'll see Paul come visit Philip and his daughters in Caesarea. And his daughters are virgins who prophesy, but we'll get to that in a few chapters. Um, the whole way there, he kept doing what Philip does. Who is he? He's Philip the Evangelist. He preaches the gospel in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now this story is full of application. We must first see that the gospel is grounded in the word. We must be a people of the word, steeped in its richness and filled with its message. We must be able to read it, believe it, and apply it. We must see Jesus in it, and then we must proclaim him everywhere, wherever God calls us. Because the world is a desert. It's dry without him. Second, we see that God does call and he does send men by his spirit. Sometimes he calls us to the desert, but faith means that we trust his calling. Because he's blessed us in it. And he has blessing for us in it, and it's not curse. Don't be afraid to follow the Spirit's calling on you. Don't shun His work. Seek His guidance. Don't shun the work of the Spirit. Submit to it. If you realize God's calling you to, to do something, do what He says. Don't become Jonah in the belly of the fish. Philip meets with wild success in his ministry, not because he's Philip but because he's faithful. Because he's working with and through and by the Spirit. And this is evident in his evangelism. He's not afraid of the eunuch's authority or power. And he's not deterred by his race, his position, or his deformity. And this is because we serve a greater king than all authorities. We serve a more merciful Lord than all other lords. Jesus is our Lord, and he draws men, all men, to himself, regardless of their race, their position, or anything. We're called to worship him. And if we'll submit to that, he grants life and fruitfulness to us, wherever we are and whoever we are. And finally... The gospel, Jesus, is water for a desert place. He's hope for the despairing. He's life for the dying. He's exactly what is needed in every context and every place. Our world is crying out for a savior. Our world is a desert. Everywhere you turn or look, there is sin. And there's the consequences of sin. There's evil. And there's death. And there's only one answer. 
There's only one solution to every problem and to every question. There's only one God, there's only one Lord, and His name is Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ghost. placed us in a beautiful garden and then by our sin we turned it into a wilderness and a desert but he loved us while we were yet sinners so that he died for us and turned our deserted and deserting hearts back to himself he has redeemed us and he is recreating his world remaking the beautiful garden and drawing us in his glorious fellowship by the sheer power of the gospel and Jesus Christ. He invites us all to become springs of living water, just like he promised to the Samaritan woman at the well. And at the very least, it's, it's, it's interesting that Philip left Samaria to bring the water of the gospel and of baptism from there to the eunuch, the dry tree from Isaiah. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That name is promised to every believer and there is no wall of separation any longer. Come, believe, and be filled with the feast that comes out of the desert. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.